We are in Acts chapter 4 today, and, and what we looked at last week was uh, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin, which is uh, very similar to like a, a Jewish Supreme Court, and, uh, and they want to charge these men, but they don't have anything to charge them with. So they say, hey, don't speak in the name anymore. They recognized they'd been with this, this guy named Jesus, and that made all the difference. And we just we talked about what it means to be with Jesus. And so today what we're looking at is Peter and John, they get released from jail. They were arrested. They kind of get out on a, on a technicality. They come out, and the first thing they do is gather with the other believers, and they begin to pray. So we're going to look at that today. We lived in a distorted and confused culture. So just this past week, uh, just in a small example of this, just this past week weekend, there were uh, 68 uh, shootings in the city of Chicago. 68. Yeah, you probably don't know much about that because all you've seen on the news is the fact that a gorilla at the Cincinnati Zoo was killed to save a young boy's life. Now, not, that was a sad thing. But that gorilla is not made in the image of God. 68 people that were involved in a shooting made in the image of God. Uh, we live in a culture uh, that is going through somewhat of a sexual revolution right now. Uh, where uh, gender is a choice. Uh, <clears throat> where marriage is open to debate. And my hope is that New City Church uh, would not turn a blind eye to this and try to hide from this, but that New City Church would be a safe haven for people, the prodigals that return from the sexual revolution because they will. We live in a confused and distorted culture. We live in a culture where depending on what race you are and depending on what time you've lived, you are of more value than another image bearer of God. We live in a confused and distorted culture. And our temptation is to think that this is a new thing. Our temptation is to think that things are worse today than they were 2,000 years ago. And what we see in the Scriptures is the world has always been confused and distorted since sin entered the world. What we see now are just recapitulations of history, of confusion and distortion. And what is, my question is this, what is God's response in His people to the confusion and distortion of sin in the world? What is it? I think it's bold hope. And that's where we're going today. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to, uh, to open up to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 31 this morning. And before we get there, I want to share something that the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, the second Corinthians letter. And uh, he says something fascinating about boldness and how it relates to hope. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Since we have hope, such hope, we are very bold. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. And so what this leads us to believe is that when boldness is lacking, hope is deficient. So when boldness is lacking... Hope is deficient. So boldness is almost like something that comes from the, the measure of hope that you have. And all of us want to be bold in Jesus' name. When it's lacking, it's because there's a deficiency of hope in our lives. And this is not a matter of if we're going to find moments in our life where we cower in fear, but a matter of when 
And then when we find that we are cowering in fear, where do we turn from there? Where do we find hope? And the reason we need to hear this today, the reason why we need this so desperately as a church, is that we are prone to hope in the wrong things. And anytime we hope in the wrong things, Christ in us isn't as Christ should be in us. And so, if you got your Bible, I want you to open to Acts 4. Stand, if you're able to, uh, in honor of God and His Word. We're going to start in verse 23 this morning. Bold hope. Here we go. Acts 4.23 When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's key. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to Your servants to continue to speak Your Word with all boldness while You stretch out Your hand to heal and and signs and wonders are performed through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we, we long for such assurance. We long for such uh, awareness of the presence of God in our lives. We long to be a people that is so confident in the work of Jesus that fear is eradicated in our lives. But the reality is, is that's not true for us most of the time. And so Father, would You meet us today? Would You show us Your grace? Would You encourage us? And would You help us to hope in the only thing there is to hope in in the world? And that's Jesus. Who we seek to be the centerpiece of our lives. And it's in His name we pray this morning. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to trace this word boldness just through Acts 4 for a moment. In verse 13, the Sanhedrin sees the boldness of Peter and John. And they recognize that they're average, ordinary Joes, don't they? They see the the boldness of them. And then in verse 29, they begin to pray after their release and they say, help us continue to speak with boldness. We don't want this easy road of escape. We don't want legal counsel that's going to help us get out of this. We don't want the first camel out of Jerusalem. But we want to continue to stand our ground and speak the Word of God with all boldness. We want to do that. In verse 31, we see after they've prayed for this, they speak with boldness. God answers their cry. So, as I was looking at that word, I thought, man, what is that word boldness? What does that really mean? The Greek word for boldness is this word parousia. And it means 
a lot of different things. There's a lot of different English words that describe what boldness, biblical boldness is. And we're just going to look at three of them. So this isn't exhaustive. This is a pretty good uh, summary of what that word could mean. So the same word for boldness that's found in Acts chapter 4 is found in 1 Thessalonians 2.2. And it, uh, it can mean fearlessness. And I think this is probably the most common thing that we, we see uh, for the word boldness. 1 Thessalonians 2.2 says this, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the Gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So, this boldness wasn't like that crazy cousin that you see at family reunions that you just never know what's going to come out of their mouth. Anybody got one of those? Everybody's got one of those. You're shaking your head. Yeah, we got one of those. So, it's, it's not... You know, it's not that type of boldness. It's not recklessness. It's not carelessness. But it's this attitude where we say, whom shall I fear? Whom else should I fear other than God? And so there's, there's this, this fearlessness to speak and act on behalf of God in the situations that we're put in. And if Jesus is real to us, this becomes our reality. That we're, we're fearless in the midst of circumstances that seem to otherwise burden us and to leave us helpless. The second thing is this, is confidence. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22, the Scriptures say this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, that's that word for boldness, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So there's this confidence that you and I gain because we are related by blood to Jesus. That Jesus is our older brother. He has won us back to the Father. And it's the life that we find is actually Jesus' blood in our veins. Not literally speaking, but spiritually speaking, that's the life that we find. And because Jesus is in us, we have confidence. We move boldly. We don't cower. There's a hymn that was written in 1772 by the name, a guy by the name of William Cowper, and he, he wrote the, 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 four, the first four lines of this hymn that he wrote say this, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. They lose all their guilty stains. There's a great little book by the name of The Calvary Road by this guy that most of you have never heard of before. His name's Roy Hessian. And Roy Hessian says in this book, The Calvary Road, that, that the life of the Christian is found at the foot of the cross where the blood of Jesus continues to wash over us. Now, what do we gain from the blood of Jesus continuing to wash our lives? We can't be separated, like Jorge said earlier, from the love of the Father because this life of the Son is continually in us. And so we have confidence. But our tendency is, church, and you know this well, is to yank ourselves out from under the blood, isn't it? We yank things that we think that we can control out from under the blood and we begin to trust ourselves. 
But, but the one who is filled with this boldness that the Bible describes keeps their life under the blood of Jesus and continually washed and cleansed by that. And because of that, we have boldness to go before the throne of grace. So we go, we go straight in because that veil has been torn that separated us from the presence of God in the temple. When Jesus rose, the veil was torn and we enter straight into the presence of God when we pray. Because Jesus, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, is seated at the right hand of the God. And you know what He's doing for us? He's interceding with the Father on your behalf. And so we have confidence. What else could we have confidence in other than the fact that Jesus is alive and inside of us by grace? So we have confidence and we keep our lives under the blood of the cross as it flows off that cross for us. And thirdly, this, I, this idea of directness. So in John chapter 10, 24, Scripture says this, So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. That word plainly is the same word for bold. So, we get this idea that the one that is bold in Christ because they're filled with the life of Christ speaks directly. We don't hem and haul around speak directly about who Jesus is and what He has done. There's a, there's a boldness so we don't, we don't feel like we have to bait and switch when it comes to Jesus. We don't, we don't feel like we have to, have to trick people into following Christ or be discreet in our faith. But there's a boldness because you know that that's the only thing that we can have hope in. So now that we've kind of uh, examined this word boldness, I want to I look into how these guys prayed. Because when they prayed, they had this idea that they needed to, to, to be reminded of who God was so that they could pray the right things. If they didn't have a clear vision of who God was and what God was about and who they were in relation to God because of Jesus, how could they pray the right things? And I'm convinced that many times I myself have forgotten who God is. I've forgotten who I am as an heir, a co-heir with Christ and a son of God. And so I pray things like in this situation, I'd be tempted to pray, God, protect me, save me from these guys, get me out of Jerusalem. But that's not what these guys pray. And it's not because the they weren't sinful and, and their flesh wasn't at work, but it was because they had to get a clear mind and a reminder of who God is. So I think there's three things that they pray, uh, three verbs that they pray that help give us a reminder of who God is. The first one is this. That, so they're, they're remembering hope in Acts 4.24-28. through 28. The first thing that they, that they pray about is this idea that God made everything. So why would they pray about that? I mean, were they struggling with evolution? You know, I mean, why were they praying and to be reminded about the fact that God made everything? Why would they need to know that? My kids and I were reading a story this past week, uh, and it was about creation. And, uh, and there's this fancy Latin term for how God created things, and it's called ex nihilo. And basically what it means is that God created out of nothing. So we're, we're explaining, I'm explaining to my kids how God created, uh, everything. And, you know, he, he, he formed Adam from the dust and then he took Eve and created, uh, uh, Eve from a rib, put Adam to sleep, 
created Eve from a rib out of nothing. And, and my, it's funny to see my kids start talking about this. They're like, so they're trying to explain it. So let, let me get this straight. So God created Caden uh, from the dust. So he was just like making a mud pie, creating him out of the dust. And then for me, he put Caden to sleep and he took his rib out and made me with that rib. So they're trying to explain this. And it's so funny to listen to them explain it and kind of reason with it. But, but the reason that they pray this is because they're reminded that God can create things that they can't see yet. Now, why would it be important to remember that God can create things that we can't see yet? Because a lot of times our circumstances lead us to believe that God cannot do whatever we want Him to do. Whatever we long for Him to do because we can't see it. God creates from nothing. There's, there's, there's no need for us to manipulate circumstances to get things just in the right place for God to move because God creates things from nothing. So think about your life right now. The things in your life that, that just absolutely uh, have a tendency to, to frustrate you, to dishearten you, because you feel like God is absent in them. Isn't this what a miracle is? Is God creating something from nothing? God taking a body that was uh, crippled with sin. I mean, this whole situation in Acts 4 is about this. And, and creating new life in this guy. The ability to walk again. New City, this, just this past week, uh, there's a guy uh, in our church. His father, he's, he's one of the leaders here at our church, leads an MC. His father uh, was pretty ill. Things were looking pretty dim in Mike's dad's life. Uh, I prayed with him often. Uh, about this, and we, uh, you know, we were just kind of hunkering down for the worst case scenario. So the situation was his dad uh, had had a had a tumor on his brain, and uh, this tumor on his brain, uh, they had four scans. The doctors did MRIs to look at this tumor, and every time it was it was there, and and you know the the, the best case scenario was that this thing was benign. So guys, the night before, Mike. Uh, his dad goes in for the surgery. They do one more scan just to make sure everything's kind of squared away. And when they go in to do this scan, guys, the tumor is gone. It's gone. God creates from nothing. He has the power to do that. He creates something from nothing. He takes tumors away. He raises the dead. And He brings them to life. It's what Jesus does. So why would they pray this? Because that's the best news in the world that God creates from nothing. What is it in your life right now that you need God to create from nothing? Have you asked Him for it? Have you set your gaze upon Jesus in all of His perfection and glory and been reminded and been washed over by the truth of who God is? It's what He does. He creates. Secondly, they're reminded, they want to remember that you spoke. So in verse 25, the Scripture say this, and who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. So through David, God spoke. And what did, what did David say? Now David, if, if you're unfamiliar with the timeline of where David, David fell in the timeline in relation to J Jesus, he, he came about a thousand years earlier. So David... King David writes this a thousand years before Jesus comes onto the scene and takes up flesh. 
And he says this, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against His anointed. Does that not describe the Passion Week? A thousand years before it happens? God speaks. He speaks through David a thousand years earlier. So they would be reminded that what has happened with Jesus is no surprise. So why should they be afraid? They should have confidence because not only did God see this coming, as we're going to look at in a second, God predestined this to happen. He had control over this happening. He spoke. Thirdly, they need to be reminded that God decided. Verse 28 is kind of the dagger of this whole deal. And, and they say this, I'll read 27 and 28, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This was no surprise to God that Jesus was crucified by the leaders of Israel. This was no surprise. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to these disciples. I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt something right here that is pretty dangerous. I'm going to attempt to paint a vignette of the biblical concept of predestination in about five minutes. You should be laughing because that's going to be impossible, but I'm going to give it a shot here. So what was happening in Acts chapter 4? Now, I'm not going to specifically talk too much about salvation. I want to keep it in the context of, of God's sovereignty over this particular situation. So, so what was happening just before this? Well, Jesus had been given up. And, and Acts 4 tells us that, hey, look, God was sovereign, so... Um, there's a deep trust in God's sovereignty. They, they prayed about that. But there's also a deep acknowledgement of man's responsibility. In fact, it gives names of the people that killed Jesus. Pontius Pilate, Herod. I mean, these guys were responsible for the death of Jesus. Yet God was sovereign over the whole thing. So how is that possible? So God is sovereign and He predetermines this thing to take place, yet He's not responsible for sin. He didn't twist anyone's arm. And here's the big thing you need to remember about this. Because a lot of times people will take this idea of predestination and they will pit it against free will. Um, I, would, I would encourage you, before I even get into this right here, to remember uh, that God is God and we are man and there are a lot of things that are a mystery. So I, what I'm about to say, I just want to kind of cover all that with that. But here's the big thing. We always act according to our desires. We always act according to our nature. We always do what we want to do. So, did Herod and Pontius Pilate want to kill Jesus? Yes. Was God sovereign over it? Yes. Everybody gets what we want. So, I want to read this quote to you from J. Gresham Machen. And he says this right here. A man's choices are free in the sense that they are not just determined by external compulsion. So nobody's making these guys kill Jesus. 
but they are not free if by freedom is meant freedom from determination by the man's own character. That's a really wordy sentence right there. And what does that mean? Well, it basically means that God is never making us go against our own nature, against our own character. We're always acting in alignment with what's going on inside of our heart. Now, uh, the early church father Augustine uh, dealt with this 1,650 years ago. There was this guy named Pelagius that, uh, that had this theology called Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism where it basically said that, hey look, sin hasn't affected man to such a degree where he is unable to choose God. So Augustine said, hey, this can't be true because the, the Scriptures say that man is totally depraved, that, 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 that there is so much sin in us that we cannot choose God. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now the last time I checked, dead means dead. So Augustine kind of helps explain this with what we call what he called the four states of man. I'm going to quickly uh, explain these to you. Uh, so this is now remember this is this whole predestination thing is in the greater uh, context of us always acting according to our nature. So if we if, if that's true, and if there is a point in our life where we choose God, where we want to follow God, then it must be that something happened in our nature, something happened inside of us to make us be able to do that, to help us be able to do that. So before the fall, the condition of man was this, able to sin, able to not sin. So in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve were tempted. They had the ability in the garden to not sin, but they sinned anyway. Okay, They had that ability there. Uh, Post-fall, so after sin had entered into the world in Genesis 3, every person on the face of the earth, according to Romans 3, deals with this situation where we're able to sin and unable to not sin. So everything that we're doing is sinning. So Genesis chapter 6, I think it may be verse 8. Don't quote me, you can look it up. But the Scriptures say before God destroys the world with the flood, they said, it says that they were always and only sinning. <laughs> Pretty strong, robust language, right? So everybody finds themselves in this place where we're able to sin and unable to not sin. So the question is, how do we get to this reborn state? How do we get to this place where we can choose Jesus? Well, the answer is, is there has to be a work in our heart. Ezekiel 36 and 37 talk about this idea that, that, uh, that God will give us a new heart and an ability with that new heart to choose Jesus. And so it's not one of these things, predestination is not one of these things where there are people that want to choose Jesus but simply can't. And it's not one of these things where there are people uh, that don't really want to follow Jesus but they're strong-armed into following Jesus. That's not the case. God changes our nature so that we can choose God. So anybody that wants to follow God is following God because God has given that desire deep within. And do you know how I know this is true more than anything else? I would not choose Jesus. I would have never chosen Jesus on my own. I mean, think about it. Why would I have chosen Jesus? I know that this is true. Because God gave me a new heart that wanted to follow Him. And He's done the same thing in you. And so this was of great encouragement to these disciples. This was of great encouragement because God had done the work. He was sovereign 
over the whole thing. And because God was sovereign over the whole thing, He could trust that He would be sovereign over what was to come. And so what do they do? They continue to pray for more boldness. John Stott says it like this, with their vision of God clarified and themselves humbled before God because they see how powerful God is, how sovereign He is, and how sinful man is, they were finally ready to pray. They had to get their head clear. They had to get their eyes on Jesus and how good He was. Because when boldness is lacking, hope is deficient. And Romans 8.28-30 kind of ties this all in a big package. I'm going to just read this for you. And you can look at it on your own um, at a later time if you want. But I just, I just want to declare this. Romans 8.28-30 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is, this is what many theologians call the golden chain of salvation. This is how it happens. God has decided in eternity past, but He has put things into our heart where we always act according to our nature. God's never strong-arming anyone. They wanted to kill Jesus, and you and I want to follow Jesus. And so, we do so because of His grace. So, now that they've got their eyes on, on Jesus, they, they've got their hope in God, here's what they request. Acts 4.29-31 through 31 says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So there's a transition in the language there. Because of this, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were shake, together together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they asked God to to not free them from the situation, to not take it away, but to consider their threats. And, and when you look in the original language, it literally has this idea of, hey God, bear these, these threats. Bear them in your mind. I want you to think about what they're going to do to us. Would you, would you think upon that? We just want to know that you care, God. Bear them in your mind. But we don't want to try to manipulate these things. Let your glory go forth. Let your plan go forth. Let your will be done, but bear these things in your mind. Consider them. And after you do that, God, would you continue to grant boldness? So, we believe Jesus is it. We believe He's the answer. We believe that He's worth our lives because He has given us life. Now help us to live in light of that because Jesus is it. Help us to always remember that Jesus is it. That there's no other way. And God, to, to, to make people know that Jesus is it, stretch out Your hand. We know that You're mighty to save because Your Word says it. Not, don't stretch out Your hand to make us comfortable and wipe all of our enemies off the map, but stretch out Your hand to heal, to perform miracles, so people would be turned to You so that they would see how good that 
you are. Because when boldness is lacking, hope is deficient. So their hope is full, their boldness is full. So my question to you as we close is this. Is your life, is it filled with fearless? Is it, is it filled with fearlessness? Is it filled with confidence in who Jesus is in? is because of His blood that washes over you? Is it, is it filled with this straightforwardness that, that you're unashamed of the Gospel as Roman, Romans 1 talks about? Are you in a season right now where you would say, man, every single one of those things actually don't describe my life? And my question for you would be this, what is your hope today? If it's a hope that God would change your circumstances, that's a bad God. That's a terrible God. If it's a, if it's a hope that God would just give you a better job or just get you out of this relational issue that you've got going on, this conflict that's eating you alive, if it's, if it's a hope that, that God would maybe move you to a different place or, or bring you that special someone, those are all bad gods and they will be insufficient to make your joy full and your hope full. And if your hope isn't full, how can we live bold lives? Past weekend, I was swimming in the pool with my kids. Now, swimming, I mean, I'm the only one that can swim. None of them can swim. So, really got to have your game face on when you're at the pool. So, we typically, you know, throw a life preserver on the kids if they go into the deep end and stuff like that. But, you know, I have this one kid that's, you know, all my kids are special, but this one is just, uh, he's going to keep me on my knees. His name's Roman. And, uh, Roman is not afraid of anything. And most of you can attest to the fact. I mean, a couple weeks ago, somebody brought him in out of the parking lot. Uh, and it's not because we're negligent parents, it's because he escaped. So, he's a pretty good con artist. And so, Roman's not afraid of anything. He'll do anything. Uh, I could probably share stories that would get me in trouble, and I'm not going to do that. But Roman uh, is afraid of one thing. Roman is afraid of water. And the reason why Roman is afraid of water is because Roman went under the water once and somebody had to bring him back up. Um, and so Roman and I and Tatum and Caden are all at the pool hanging out and Tatum and Caden are jumping off the side of the pool to dad and dad's catching them. And it's, it's like they're like, they got dad in the pool and they got a life jacket on. It's like they're, I mean, their head isn't even going to get wet. I mean, they've got so much protection, right? But Roman's like, hey, I'm going to take my life jacket off. I'm going to jump to dad. And I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. He's been afraid of the water. Now he wants to jump in. Um, and what I realize about this fearless and bold little boy that's afraid of the water is that his hope in his father is greater than his fear of water. His hope in his father is greater than his fear of water. And so what's that mean? It means that he's willing to do bold things because he knows dad's not going to let him go under the water. He's not going to let him drown. So my question to you is this. What would your life look like if you knew that your dad wasn't going to let you drown? How would you live? Would you have that conversation? Would you invite that person into your home? Would you live in such a way where you love till it hurt? What would your life look like if you knew that your dad wasn't going to let you sink? Because that is our hope in Christ, friends. He's not going to let us go under. And that was the hope of these disciples as they prayed and they remembered 
who God was. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we come to You. And You, You're a much better Father than I am to my kids. Father, You, you have not let death swallow us up. You have made a way in Christ. You have loved us at Your expense. You have given us the great hope who is the treasure of Your only Son, Jesus. And because of that, we have great hope. Hope that leads to the eradication of fear. Hope that gives us confidence. More confidence than we would ever have in ourselves. And a hope that keeps us focused on a single-minded thing, which is Your glory. And so Father, we pray for more of that hope to come into our hearts this morning. That we would look upon who You are, who You've been throughout eternity, who You are throughout the Scriptures, and we look at the fact that You never change. And so why would we be afraid? Why would we be terrified of You letting us down when You sent the security of Your Son raising from the dead and the promise, the good deposit of the Spirit that You've given us to remind us You're not going to let death swallow us up. So Father, I pray that our lives would be bold, not to be just for for bold's sake, but that we would magnify Christ with our lives. And I pray that You would would touch us all this morning in a way to step out into that. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here, my friends in here that maybe have not bowed the knee to Jesus. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of rebellion. I pray that You would give them that desire to yearn and long for Jesus. And they would hear that You stand at the door and knock, desiring to come in. So Father, I pray that You would do that work this morning in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.